I tell you, don't we love our mothers? My mom's in heaven. She's been there three years. I'm sure she's having a great time. Uh, how many of you, your moms have gone on? A lot of us here. And if your mom's here, love them every day. Tell them you love them every day. Amen. Uh, I was reading some things that I thought were kind of comical. Uh, Things my mother taught me. Have you ever? My mother taught me about religion. You better pray that comes out of that carpet. My mother taught me about time travel. If you don't straighten up, I'm going to knock you into the middle of next week. My mother taught me about logic because I said so. That's why. My mother taught me about foresight. Make sure you wear clean underwear in case you're in an accident. My mother taught me about contortionism. I wish you'd look at the dirt on the back of your neck. My mother taught me about stamina. You're going to sit there until all that spinach is gone. My mother taught me about weather. Your room looks like a tornado went through it. (laughs) My mother taught me about the circle of life. I brought you into this world. I can take you out of it. (laughs) I like this one. My mother taught me about anticipation. Just wait until we get home. You're going to get it. (laughs) My mother taught me about medical science. If you don't stop crossing your eyes like that, they're going to freeze. My mother taught me humor. When that lawnmower cuts off your toes, don't come running to me. My mother taught me about genetics. You're just like your father. And finally, my mother taught me wisdom. When you get my age, you'll understand. That's so true, isn't it? (laughs) Anyway, we love you, moms. Thank you so much uh, for all that you've done for us, and and I know you appreciate them. Hey, listen, you know, this morning, first of all, we appreciate your pastors. We love them. Can you give me just a little bit more microphone, just a little bit more? We love and appreciate your pastors so much. We've been in relationship with them for quite a while. And uh, uh, we, we certainly appreciate their, their life, their ministry, and I know you're blessed to have them as pastors, and they're blessed to have you. So we're happy to be here with you this morning. Uh, but I wanted to bring just a word of encouragement. I know it's Mother's Day, but I want to uh, just bring a message and a word of encouragement to you. As I was made acutely aware uh, by the leading of the Holy Spirit that some of you may... Uh, have been facing some very challenging and pressing situations uh, recently. And, and you know, God loves his kids and he wants to encourage us at times. So if this is for you, you can celebrate. If it's not particularly uh, addressing your situation at the moment, you might be on the mountaintop this morning. That's all right. Your neighbor might need it, right? But you can stick this in your back pocket, pull it out later. It'll be of good use to you at some point in life. You know, a large portion of the Gospel of John is based upon the last 24 hours of Jesus' life, primarily chapters 13 through 19. Jesus is gathered in an upper room with his disciples, uh, and he's conveying some information to uh, them that he wants them to remember because he's very well aware that his death, his burial, his resurrection, and his ultimate departure to heaven is drawing near. And so he wants to, to... to give them some information that will be comforting. One of the first things he tells them in John chapter 14, beginning in verses 1 through 3, he said to them, Let not your heart be troubled. 
You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. He said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I'll come again and receive you unto myself. Amen. And then, of course, in chapters 14 through 16, he begins talking to them about the person and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And I believe your pastor started a series on that particular topic. And he said, listen, I'm I'm going to be going away, but I want you to be comforted in the fact that you are not going to be left here alone. As soon as I depart, my Father is going to send the person of the Holy Spirit. Everything that I have been to you, He will be to you. But the good news is He will not only be with you as I have been, but He's going to actually take up residence on the inside of you and He will be a constant indwelling source of comfort, of strength, of power, of wisdom, of guidance. He will be an internal and eternal companion. So he said, I want you to be comforted by these facts that, hey, I'm going, but I'm preparing a place. While I'm gone, you've got a tremendous source of help and comfort and strength that is going to be here with you. His name is the Holy Spirit. And then, of course, he tells them in John 16 and 33, he said, now listen, I do want you to understand this. That in this world, he said, I've spoken all these things to you, John 16 and 33, that you might have what? Peace. I've spoken these things to you that you might have peace. He said, now I want you to understand, in this world, you're going to have what the King James articulates as tribulation. But be of good cheer because I've overcome the world. So I said to you this morning, I just want to encourage some of you. Jesus said, listen... In this world that is in a state of degeneration, in this world that has the presence of Satan, sin, human will, and volition, he said, listen, your faith is going to be tried. I'm about to perform an amazing work of redemption for you through my death, through my burial, through my resurrection. Your entire existence and future as my disciples and all those that will believe on me through your testimony is about to be radically changed. And that is an extraordinary uh, and great news. He said, but I don't want you to misunderstand your present reality. And that is, you'll be living in a world that is in a fallen condition as a new creation in Christ. This world has the presence, once again, of Satan's sin, human will, and volition. And because of that, uh, there will be times of opposition. There will be times of adversity. There will be hardships or difficult situations and circumstances at times. But I want you to put a smile on your face. I want you to be of good cheer because I have overcome and I have likewise made you an overcomer. So the question is, why is there opposition? Why is there what we call the trials of life, the challenges or the difficulties of life? Well, primarily, friends, as you well know, because you're well taught, we have an enemy in this life. His name is Satan. He is not a fabrication of someone's imagination. Satan is a real entity. And he oversees, as Ephesians chapter 6 tells us, a, a real kingdom of darkness that is comprised of principalities, powers, 
rulers of darkness and spiritual wickedness in heavenly places. And evidently, it is, it is his nature, it is his delight, uh, seemingly, to cause chaos. Uh, Jesus uh, defines Satan as the thief. John chapter 10, verse 10. You'll remember Jesus said, The thief comes not but for to steal, to kill, and to destroy. He said, But now in contrast, I am come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. I came to give you life superior in quality and abundant in quantity. So he identifies the nature of the thief as one that steals, kills, and destroys. So anything that falls under that category, you and I can readily identify its author and its source, right? So, once again, we're not currently living in the dispensation of judgment. We are in the dispensation of grace, I'm going to take this off. These lights get a little hot. We're currently in the dispensation of grace. Uh, However, we understand that once the church is removed from the earth, then the tribulation will begin and we will be in uh, what we call the dispensation of judgment, where God will reveal himself in his wrath to the wicked and to the ungodly. But in this present dispensation of grace, you and I, as the children of God, are greatly beloved in His sight. We are the objects of His love. We're the objects of His devotion. So, we understand in this dispensation, although new creations, born again, children of God, we live in a fallen, broken world, so there's going to be some adversities, right? Uh, uh, and, and many times people say, well, I don't understand why I'm going through this. What did I do wrong? What have I done so bad to be going through this particular situation? Well, you know, friends, you may not have done anything wrong. Right Now we understand we can make bad decisions in life that negatively impact us in different ways. But aren't you glad God is bigger than our bad decisions? And He can absolutely turn negative situations into positive outcomes. Even if we were perhaps the cause. Because He's merciful. Uh, but the point is... That, once again, the trials of life come to everyone. You may not have done anything. They're just common to the human experience. Over in First Peter chapter 4 and verse 12, notice what the, the apostle Peter said. He said, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing has happened to you. <laughs> He said, hey, one translation says, don't consider it abnormal. These challenges that you are passing through as though something out of the ordinary has occurred. We've described to you the world in which we live, but the good news is Jesus said, hey, I've overcome the world and I have given you everything that you need and he's given me everything that I need as a believer to overcome in this world successfully. No matter what the devil throws our way, right? So I just want to encourage you, some of some of you this morning, uh, uh, with the word of God. Uh, the apostle Paul in Second Corinthians, uh, chapter four, verses eight and nine. <clears throat> 
Notice what Paul said. Now, Paul was a man. He was a minister. He endured some uh, adversities in life. Notice what he said. He said, we are troubled on every side. Have you ever noticed that most often in life, trouble seems to come with company? It's almost like uh, multiple adversities tend to arise simultaneously on several fronts. I call it the devil's pile-up technique. Just trying to, to overwhelm you. But I want you to notice Paul's mentality. I want you to notice his attitude. And this is very important. He said, we're troubled on every side, yet not what? Not distressed. He said, I'm not going to allow these present temporary situations and circumstances that can be very pressing and they can be agitating and they can, you know, present challenge, but I'm not going to allow them to stress me out, get me all full of anxiety and lose my internal sense of peace and confidence. He said, yeah, we've got some things going on, yet not distressed. He went on to say, perplexed. Do you know what perplexed means? Perplexed by definition, friends, means confused. (laughs) Paul said, hey, I don't have all the answers. I don't always understand why everything unfolds the way it does. I don't understand why all situations occur the way they do. Why people behave and respond the way they do. He said, I don't have all the answers. But just because I can't figure out everything in my head doesn't mean I'm going to throw in the towel, give up, lay down and quit. He said, perplexed at times, what's the next word? But, what? Not in despair. He goes on to say, persecuted, what's the next word? But, right? Not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. I think some Christians need what we call a but revelation. And I'm not talking about the part you're sitting on this morning. I'm talking about the conjunction but. Because the psalmist said in Psalm 30 and verse 5, he said, Weeping endures for the night, but joy comes in the morning. In Psalm 34, in verse 10, the Bible says, The young lions may lack and suffer hunger, but they that seek the Lord shall not want for any good thing. In the 18th verse there, it says, Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them out of them all. And as we've already said to you, Jesus said, In the world you're going to have some tribulation, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, you need a butt revelation. (laughs) Amen. Listen, friends. Listen, we're going to have opposition in life, resistance in life, adversities in life. We don't believe for them. We don't magnify them. We just understand in this present dispensation, we're going to encounter them. Paul had opposition. Paul had adversities. But the good news is, none of it stopped him. None of it overcame him. And guess what? None of it will stop you. None of it will stop me. If we will maintain 
the proper mentality in our seasons of adversity or opposition. Because listen to me, a wrong mentality is the highest form of human captivity. The highest form of human captivity is a wrong mentality. Because if I am thinking improperly about myself, about my environment, about my situation, if I'm thinking improperly about my future, then I'm believing improperly. And if I am believing improperly, then I am powerless to change my situation. So we always say it this way, and we've coined these phrases many times in preaching, but they still bear truth. I cannot be a victor in life with a victim mentality, right? That is a reality. So the truth is, you and I as Christians, we have to face this life and all that it brings with an internal attitude or a predisposition that says, Hey, Christ in me. Christ with me. Christ for me is more than enough to put me over in any situation that comes. When it's all said and done, devil, I'll still be standing. Woo! I love the Apostle Paul's mentality. What we call his spiritual attitude. We call it a spirit of faith. But notice Paul's mentality. Romans chapter 8, uh, beginning in verse 35. Notice his attitude. He said, hey, who shall separate me from the love of God or the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword. Verse 37, notice what he said. No! Nay, in King James, sounds like a donkey. Nay. No! In all these things, all of them, we're more than conquerors through Him who loved us. Then he goes on to say, For I am persuaded. What does that mean? I have an unwavering sense of confidence that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other creature shall be able to separate me from the love of God in Christ. Woo! Man, that ought to light your fire. If it doesn't, your wood's wet this morning. Paul said, hey, me and Jesus, we've got this thing. No matter how big the mountain, no no matter how impossible it may appear, with Christ, with God being for me, who can be against me? Who can be my foe when God is on my side? Oh, don't you love it? So listen, maintaining a proper mentality in these seasons of adversity, opposition, resistance, difficulty, whatever it may be, is a very strong key to navigating that season successfully and coming out victoriously on the other side. How we think is crucial. But in addition to what we call the mentality of faith, 
is also what we call the vocabulary of faith or the declaration of faith. Not only what we believe and what we're thinking and believing, but likewise, friends, what we are saying. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Verse 13, I'm giving you some keys to navigate this morning. I know some of you have been in some situations of late that have been very challenging. It may be relational, it may be physical, it may be financial, whatever arena it may be, God will see you through. Amen. He's more than enough, but I want to give you some keys. Uh, The Apostle Paul said, We having the same spirit of faith according as it is written. Now, Now, what does the spirit of faith do? He said, I believed. Well, thank God for that. And therefore have I spoken. We also believe and therefore speak. So he said, now this is the nature of faith. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. If we're going to come out successfully on the other side of opposition, we're going to have to meet that thing and navigate that thing in faith. And he said, this is the nature of faith. Faith believes the promises and provisions that God has written in His Word. Faith believes it. And faith declares it. Faith not only believes in the heart, it also speaks with the mouth. And so both of these components are very necessary in navigating these seasons of adversity, difficulty, opposition, whatever it may be, declaring God's Word, declaring what He has said about us in the midst of circumstances that completely that seem completely contrary to the reality of that word. We don't call it how we see it. We call it according to what God has said. Right? So, what do you mean? Well, we have to believe that greater is He that is in us than he that is in this world. We have to believe. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I am ready for, I am equal to anything that comes my way through Christ who infuses His inner strength into me. I am and you are self-sufficient in Christ's sufficiency. I have to believe no weapon formed against me will prosper. Every tongue that rises against me in judgment will be condemned. I have to believe when I walk through the water, He'll be with me. And when I pass through the rivers, they will not overtake me. When I walk through the fire, I will not be burned, neither will the flame kindle upon me. I have to believe that He has made me more than a conqueror in Christ. I have to believe, thanks be unto God that always causes me to triumph. I have to believe these realities and I must declare them in the midst of completely, seemingly contrary realities. That's a strong key to navigating these seasons of opposition or difficulty, whatever you may be facing. Believe God's Word and man, declare it. And it'll help you successfully navigate through. 
Sometimes, friends, listen, it's a fight to stand up and say, by the stripes of Jesus, I am healed. When your body doesn't feel right. Sometimes it is a fight to say, I have the mind of Christ. I will not fear. When your mind is attempting to go haywire and fear is attempting to consume you, it's a fight. That's why the Bible says in 1 Timothy 6 and 12, fight the good fight of faith. Paul knew as the Holy Spirit revealed to him that it would be a fight sometimes to stand up and declare the Word of God when contrary circumstances were facing us. He knew it would be a fight. He knew that Satan would attempt to steal our faith and steal our confidence because without that faith and without that confidence, there's no victory. I don't win because I'm a Christian. I don't win because I go to church. I don't win because my mother is a Christian. I win because I believe and I exercise faith in the redemptive work of Jesus Christ and the victory that He has given me. Woo! That's why we win. So at times, there's a fight to faith. But the good news is, praise God, through faith, we always win. Even in death, you win. Woo! Praise God. So, when the devil throws his biggest punch, and maybe you feel like he has recently, boom! And he says, what you got to say about that? What have I got to say? I'll tell you what I've got to say. Psalm 18 and verse 2. I will say of the Lord, you are my refuge. You are my fortress. You are my deliverer. My God in you will I trust. What have I got to say? Psalm 91 verse 2. I'll tell you what I got to say. The Lord is my rock. The Lord is my fortress. My deliverer. My God. My strength. Can you say amen? Instead of saying what am I going to do? What am I going to do? Say You're my refuge. You're my fortress. You're my God. You're my strength. I trust you. Now I want to tell you something that I've learned personally in life through the years. That most often, and I hope this will encourage you, most often, and if you've lived long enough, you see it too. Some of our greatest seasons of blessing, advancement, forward momentum personally and ministerially, have most often been preceded by some of the most intense seasons of opposition, adversity, resistance. I believe Satan was hopeful that we would just lay down and quit. But I've learned something. That most often those seasons that precede are are just... The border to our promised land, if you will. I've adopted this attitude because I've found it to be valid. James chapter 1 verse 2. Count it all joy when you encounter these trials or tribulations or adversities. Why? Because I know this test is going to be my testimony. 
this present opposition is going to be my future launching pad. And as I said to you, sometimes uh, the, the most intense times of adversity could be the border to your promised land. That's why you need to keep pressing. Don't give up. Don't sit down. Don't draw back. Everything is going to be okay. God's got this thing. Are you listening? In Matthew chapter 7, uh, you'll remember verses 24. Actually, it's through 27, 24 through 27, but we're going to look specifically at verses 24 and 25. Jesus tells the story uh, of, of two houses, one that was built on the rock, one that was built on the sand. Do you remember that? Uh, this little parable. And notice in Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 and 25, Therefore, whosoever hears these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. And the rains descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat upon the house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon the rock. Now I want you to notice something. The rains came. The winds blew. The floods came and beat upon the house. You mean all of that happened to a house that was built on a rock? A person that was hearing and doing the Word of God? Yeah. Because some people once again say, man, I'm coming to church. You know, I, I, I'm trying to be a blessing in prayer, financial, serving, trying to be the best person I know how to be. I'm doing everything I know to do. And look, hey, the rains descended. The floods came. The winds blew and beat on the house. You know, I, I've gone to the Lord at times in my journey. And I've just been honest. And I said, listen, I feel completely beat up. And he took me to this story. <laughs> and he showed me that parable. He said, did you notice? The rains descended, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on the house. Yeah. He said, hey, that's the fourth and final stage of the storm. So if you just feel like you've been a little beat up lately, i got some great news for you this morning. You're standing on the verge of a glorious exit from this situation. You say, well, how do I know if my faith worked? I'll tell you how you know when it worked. If you're still standing when the storm passes. You might feel a little beat up. Your hair might be blown out to here. But if you're still standing... <laughs> Your faith worked. Woo! Glory to God. So listen, I don't care this morning if you feel like you've been in the fire with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego of late. Maybe you feel like you've been in the lion's den. Have you ever read the story of Daniel in the lion's den? Now think about it once again. Here's a man that was a man of integrity. He honored God. He was doing everything right. And yet he found himself in a very difficult and precarious situation. And don't you know when those men, the king's men, came to drag him off to the lion's den? Don't you know that he just knew on the inside of him that God was going to zap those guys? But he didn't. And then he gets on the ledge of that den with those hungry lions in the bottom. 
And, and I'm sure that Daniel thought like I do many times or have in the past. I don't know if you've ever said it, but I have. I said, hey, if you plan on doing something now, would be a glorious time. You ever felt like that? I'm sure he did. But guess what, man? They threw him in. And that's where a lot of Christians give up. I've done everything I know to do. I've done all that I, I, I know to do. I've spoke the word. I believe the word. I'm in church. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. And here I am in the den. Friends, that's not the time to throw in the towel. You got to read the rest of the story. Daniel 6 and 23, notice what the Bible says. It says, in the morning, they took him up out of the den. And what? There was no manner of hurt upon him. I love that because, listen, God can so deliver you and deliver me out of the most difficult situations of life. And when we come out, there's no residue. There's no evidence of the fact we were ever in that den. I mean, you know you were there. <laughs> but praise God, He can deliver us in such a way, man. There's no evidence of the fact we were ever in it. You might feel like this morning you've been staring like the children of Israel did in Exodus chapter 14, you've been staring at the Red Sea. I mean, your situation looks impossible. It looks impassable. You don't know how in the world there could possibly be a way out. That's where they were. But God told Moses, and he said, when Moses said, what are we going to do? He said, stop talking to me about it. Lift up your rod. Declare the faithfulness of God. Declare the word of God. Declare the promises of God. And the Bible said, man, he opened that sea and he, they passed through on dry ground. And Pharaoh and that whole host that was following them and pursuing them was swallowed up by the sea. Woo! I don't care what our problems are this morning. God can make a way when there seems to be no way. And that which has been pursuing us can be swallowed up by the power of God. Amen. I want to encourage you this morning. God can turn seemingly impossible situations around. Nothing is impossible with Him. You know, uh, the Scripture says in Psalm 126 and verse 1, the Bible says, when the Lord turned again the captivity of Zion, we were like them that dreamed, right? What do you mean when the Lord turned again? I do like that word again. Because people say, I've made the same mistakes over and over and over. I know He'll turn it again and again and again because He's merciful and He's good. But but notice that terminology, when the Lord turned again the captivity of Zion. Now, once again, we tend to coin phrases, but what does that mean? When we say God is turning a situation or God can turn it around, what does that mean from a scriptural standpoint? Well, a turnaround in the natural means by definition a change in the course of direction. A change in the course of direction. So that means perhaps of late certain situations have been going in a direction that have been somewhat uh, uh, unfavorable. Man, pressing, uh, difficult. 
But then God turns that situation. It does a 180. And it begins to what? Go in the opposite direction, one that is favorable. He is a supernatural God. He can still do supernatural things if we will believe Him for it, even if it seems completely impossible. Man, we got to be like a dog on a bone sometimes with our faith. And what does that mean? I will not take no for an answer. I know what He has promised. I know what He has provided. I will not take no for an answer. I don't care how long it takes. I'll still be standing right here. Because it is coming to pass. That's tenacity. Right? So God, now I understand that Christ has already turned our captivity legally through His death, burial, and resurrection. I'm talking about certain situations that individuals are facing in this room this morning. God wants to encourage you, stand your ground. He's heard your prayer. He's actively working on the situation, but you've got to maintain a position of confidence. Thank Him for it. Thank you that you've heard me. Thank you that it is turning. Right? What does it look like? When God turns a situation. What does that look like in the natural? Well, think about the children of Israel. Right there in Psalm 126. Think about them. The Bible says they were in Egyptian bondage. They were slaves to Egypt. They were poor. They were oppressed. They were depressed. Their lives were miserable. And then all of a sudden, God turned. The entire situation. I mean, in one day, everything for them changed. We understand the process that led up to it. But in one day, see, that's what you have to realize and have to realize. Just because you don't see it doesn't mean your faith isn't working. Just because you can't see what God is orchestrating behind the scenes because He's heard your prayer, He's seen your uh, your faith, He's listened to your declarations. God is working. The angels are working. I might not see it, but I know in the unseen realm, whoo, the pieces of the puzzle are falling in place. And then, boom, everything changed in 24 hours. Psalm 105, 37. What does it look like when God changes something? He brought them forth with silver and gold. And there was not one feeble person among their tribes. Are you listening? 24 hours later, they had nothing. And then the next day, they're coming out with silver and gold. And there's not one feeble person among their tribes. Man, let me tell you something. God can change things, boom, just like that. And I believe He's working. And you're going to see some supernatural manifestations. Oh, hallelujah. I'm not just trying to pump you up. I'm telling you what's in my spirit this morning. What does it look like when God turns a situation? Psalm 105, 43. Notice, He brought them forth with joy. Brought His people forth with joy. And has chosen with gladness. You may have come in here this morning, man. You've been depressed. You've been down, oppressed. You can leave happy, glad, and free. Ooh. The Bible says in Job 42 and verse 10, what does it say? 
God turned the captivity of Job when he prayed for his friends. And notice, gave him twice as much as he'd lost. Now the devil wrecked havoc in Job's life. The uh, scholars tell us it was about an 8 to 12 month period. So he had a bad year, a terrible year. You ever had a bad year? But let me tell you something. When God got finished with it, not only did God restore everything that Satan had stolen from this man, but he gave him twice as much as he had. (laughs) I don't know. I like that. Oh, that just makes me happy. He'll double it up. Praise God. So God radically altered their state of existence. That's why I tell people never, never assume for a moment that your present state or condition has any bearing on your future potential or fulfillment because God can change things in a moment of time. Never assume for a moment that our present state or condition has any bearing on our future potential or fulfillment because God can change things in a moment of time. How many of you believe it? I do. So listen, this morning, I just want to encourage you. If you feel like you've been in the fire, you're coming out. If you feel like you've been in the lion's den, you're coming out. If you feel like you're facing the Red Sea, you're going to pass through. And you're going to come out the other side. And whatever's been pursuing and pressing, it'll be swallowed up by the power of God. Now, you know, I have to live this thing. My wife, we have to live this like everybody. We're not exempt because we're ministers. Sometimes I think it's even more challenging at times. You know, but the Lord ministers to me in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs personally many times, you know, as I wait before him is Ephesians chapter 5, beginning in verse 18, 19, 20, and 21. He talks about being filled with the Spirit speaking to yourselves in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. One definition of a psalm is an ode or a composition in verse. So many times as I wait upon the Lord, He'll just speak to me in these psalms, and I'll write them down, and they encourage me. Or speak them out. And and you know, when I was going through a a season of adversity and opposition, it was very, very intense uh, for several, several years back. And and man, I was waiting before the Lord, and the word of the Lord came to me saying, and I want to share it with you because I believe it will be a source of encouragement. He said to me, and he's saying to you, you've been in a time or a season of opposition. The enemy has attempted to discourage and detour But be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might and remain steadfast and endure. For the tide is turning. The day of victory is near. The devil is defeated. Do not be discouraged. Do not fear. For the hopes that you have harbored, the dreams that you have believed, they shall come into fruition. And they shall be received. So rejoice. Be glad. Lift your voice and say, Things are turning around in my favor. Victory is mine today. Everybody say, Things are turning around in my favor. Victory is mine today. Now listen, it didn't feel like it. It didn't look like it, but I knew God said, lift your voice and say, 
things are turning around in your favor. So I just started doing it every day. I'd get up in the morning. Thank you, Lord. Things are turning around for our favor. Victory is ours. At lunch, we'd say, Thank you, Lord. Things are turning around in our favor. At night, I would say, Thank you, Lord. Things are turning around in my favor. Did it look like it? No. Did it feel like it? No. But God said, Say it before you see it. Believe it. Right? I'm working in the unseen realm. And friends, this morning, I want you to be encouraged. God's working. Keep believing. Keep declaring. And in the morning and the the days that follow, I want you to say, thank you, Lord. Things are turning around. Amen? Amen. Do you believe it? Lillian B. Yeomans, and we're closing. Lillian B. Yeomans was a medical doctor in the early 1900s. She had uh, been addicted to morphine. Uh, She was delivered. She was gloriously saved. Then she had a healing ministry for about 40 years. And she made this statement. She said, praise hastens victory (laughs) praise hastens victory there's something about praising God in the midst of trying situations that activates the power of God you've prayed your prayer you've made your declarations and now the only thing left to do friends is to praise God you, you know this, uh, you see this principle implemented in Scripture time and time again. Acts chapter 16, you remember verses 25 and 20, 26. Paul and Silas were in prison when at midnight. And what did they do? They prayed, well, thank God for prayer. But then what did they do? They sang praises. Man, they started praising in a little tiny quiet voice because they didn't want to disturb anyone. Is that what they did? No. Man, they began to praise so loud that everybody in the prison heard them. Woo! Sometimes you just got to get a little loud with your praise. Come out of your shell. I mean, you see people go to sporting events, they go wild. They come to church and sit like this. But if their favorite team, man, made a football, they'd be, woo! I mean, they're dancing around, shaking people. Woo! They don't think a thing about it. It's normal for a fan to act that way. When you're a fan of Jesus Christ and you're happy about what He's done for you, it's all right to get a little little excited about it. Praise hastens victory. They prayed and they sang praises and the prisoners heard them and noticed what happened. And suddenly an earthquake. So that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And notice, immediately all the doors were open. Everyone's bands were loosed. Everybody in the vicinity of that praise were recipients of the the blessing and benefit of it. You start praising God in here this morning and His presence comes in. Because God inhabits the praises of His people. And then what happens, man? Prison doors start opening. Bands fall off. You don't have to go home sad, dejected, right? Depressed. What do we do? Change our attitude. Change our mentality. 
change our declaration. Get this living word of God on the inside of you. Right? And declare its reality. God is turning things around this morning. I want everybody in the house to stand.